Well, good morning. Thank you, Judy, for reading God's Word to us. This series that we're going through this summer is about work in progress. It's a recognition that for each of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, we're not at that stage where we are without sin. We stumble, we fall, we are forgiven, we're restored. And one day when we are in the presence of Jesus uh, in glory, we won't have to worry about our sinful nature or the mistakes we made. But it's also a reassurance to us as we look at characters from the Bible uh, that they too, despite often being godly uh, people, great leaders, they too had their flaws and they too had to experience God's mercy and grace. And so a few weeks into this series, uh, I've been asked to speak on Miriam, and I was given this title, uh, Miriam the Judgmental, and the passage we've heard gives the particular incident that we're going to be focusing on. But I thought it might be helpful to us if we, first of all, just think where else we meet Miriam and the great and impressive role that she plays. So the first thing is, Uh, that we're introducing her uh, as the Epoch Enabler. An epoch, it's a time marked by an event that begins a new period or or development. And I'd suggest to you that the exodus of the people of Israel from Egypt, the birth of a new nation, was in fact uh, the beginning of an epoch. And one of the reasons it happened from a human perspective is because of Miriam's role in that some 80 years previously. When you look at the timeline, you can see that Jacob and the family must have migrated to Egypt. We're estimating somewhere in the region of 1850 BC. But but I have to say this, that scholars are divided on when the Exodus took place. There's what they call an early date or a late date. The late date, about 1250 B.C., the early date, 200 years before that. I lean toward the earlier date, but don't call me a scholar. Uh, But I just think it's more likely to be about 1445 B.C., and, and I'm basing this timeline on that. But if I'm wrong, it doesn't make any difference to my faith at all. Just got some dates wrong along the way. So we've got the thing about... Um, about 350, maybe 375 years later, I think the slavery probably began there. The reason is Pharaoh Moses started reigning in 1550, and he threw out the rulers of Upper Egypt and started taking over the whole land. So it's very likely that that might have been a time when the Israelites, who were regarded as a threat because of their growing numbers, were put into slavery. And some 24 years after he was started reigning, that's possibly when Moses was born. And so it's into that hostile environment uh, that he uh, is born, and the hostile environment is so hostile that the Egyptians were killing or trying to kill every male-born child of the Israelites. And so in Exodus chapter 2, we read this. Now a man of the tribe of the Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son, When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Well, when you think of the fear in Afghanistan at the moment of people trying to hide from the Taliban and how difficult that is as they go door to door searching for people who've been cooperating with the government or the uh, uh, um, occupying forces, then in one way or another, you can imagine something of the fear in Egypt. 
But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch, then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds of the, along the bank of the Nile. And although this story is about Moses, we get this surprise introduction. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. I wonder how old she was. Well, what we've got here is an example in the early parts of Exodus of women who act as saviors, if you like, as almost like types of Jesus, because that's, of course, Jesus' name means God is salvation. There were the midwives who didn't cooperate with the Egyptian authorities. There was Moses' mother who, in faith, placed him in the basket. There was Pharaoh's daughter who would rescue him. There was Zipporah, Moses' wife, later in the wilderness. But here we're introduced to the act of this older sister when she asked Pharaoh's daughter, who pulled the baby from the Nile, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? How old do we think she was that she could do that? Well, I'm not sure, but she certainly had presence of mind, didn't she? Maybe she was 10 years old, something like that. I'm just taking a stab at that. I'm not uh, saying she's older or younger. But something maybe, let's allow 10 years old, that she might have done this. And she went and got Moses' own mother, who uh, managed to be the, the mother who, who, who nursed him, who weaned him for that Pharaoh, daughter of Pharaoh. So we hop forward. The next time we meet Miriam is 80 years later. In Exodus chapter 15, I'm oh, sorry, let's just go back one. Uh, Exodus chapter 15 is just after the Israelites have left Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've been uh, rescued. They've been redeemed. They've been they've exercise that great escape from slavery and at the beginning of this chapter we read then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted both horse and driver he's hurled into the sea the Lord is my strength and my defense he has become my salvation some of you may be old enough to remember a song back in the 70s and early 80s we would sing I will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously and later in the chapter in verses 19 to 21 we discover these verses uh, that Miriam had a particular role and you'll notice that it describes Miriam as a prophet it recognizes a role that she has uh, Aaron's sister so we know that Aaron was Moses' brother. Can now we can put two, to, two, two and two together and say that the young girl who we met in chapter two is, is Miriam here. And she took a tambourine in her hand. All the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Moses sang to them. And that them is a male. So she's singing to the uh, leading the women and singing to the men and women of the nation of Israel here in this situation. So she's got a pretty prominent role, but I just want to point out that at this stage, it is likely that she's about 90 years old, um, and she's leading the people, the women in this situation. So, so if you think you're just feeling your age a bit, there's plenty of life left in you yet to keep on serving and worshipping the Lord. So we've got this 90-year-old prophet. If his little brother is 80 at the time of... Her little brother is 80 at the time of the Exodus. And, and, and that's uh, there. 
the, a second from the last blue box on our timeline. But less than a year and a half later, a couple of years at most, we come across some good people behaving badly. And that was the reading that Judy brought to us just now. Well, the action takes place within the uh, red rectangle here at the southeastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. And what we discover is that the Israelites have left Egypt, they've headed uh, east, and then they head south down into the desert of Sinai. And there at the mountain of God, Moses is given the law written on the tablets of stone. This was God's prescription, keep taking these tablets. And of course, it wasn't just the Ten Commandments, but there was a great deal more to the law that they were given to guide them in holiness and living in as a society that was radically different from that which they'd left behind in Egypt. And we discover at the end of the previous chapter, the last verse says, from Kibroth Hatava, the people traveled to Hazaroth and stayed there. So we've reached the end of this turquoise line here that they've gone to the, um, somewhere up to Hazaroth there. And that's where the incident of chapter 12 takes place because the last verse of chapter 12 tells us after that the people left Hazaroth. And we read in this account of what happened there with Aaron and Miriam that they began to talk against Moses. What were the root causes of this discontent? Well, these are guesses, but it, the suggestion is there might be some kind of domestic rivalry. Of course, Aaron, as the oldest son, would expect, in Hebrew culture, he would expect precedence. And while he was the high priest, and in a sense the spiritual leader of the head of the nation, in reality, his younger brother, Moses, was in that role. Perhaps there was a loss of a sense of the exclusive power and position and access they had to Moses because in the previous chapter, we, we read that God had taken some of Moses' power and placed it upon 70 of the elders in Israel. So now, instead of it being uh, Moses and Aaron and, and Miriam as a sort of triumvirate in, in leadership, now there were 70 others. And so they maybe felt there was a real dilution of the access they had and the leadership role that they had. Perhaps that was it. Perhaps being a leader was not all that it's cracked up to be. I mean, taking two and a half million people through the desert... It was a bit like herding cats at times. And of course, I don't imagine the heat and the barren conditions added anything to the quality of that role. It does appear that Miriam is the one who takes the lead here. We, we know from previous experience, uh, while it, Moses was up on the mountain, Aaron was easily influenced by the people and, and built the golden calf, made the golden calf. Maybe in this situation he's being influenced by his sister. And the reason I suggest that it's her that's the lead in this is because it's her that experiences um, the severe judgment of God. But if those were the possible root causes, the symptoms of this were a complete rejection of Moses' 
authority and prime position of leadership. And this was exhibited in their behavior. It was judgmental. First of all, there was the ethnic objection. Well, he's got a Cushite wife. Did you notice back in chapter 2 that both of their parents, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam's parents, were Levites? They were descendants directly from uh, Jacob, Jacob's son, Levi. But Moses, well, he's spoiled the, the, the family line, hasn't he? He's married an outsider. He's married a Cushite. Well, we know that, the, that Zipporah, who, who he married, was a, a Midianite. And, and Cushite may be just a, another way of expressing a Midianite here. But we've got this objection. Moses had fled from Egypt 40 years previously. He had escaped some of the worst of the times in Egypt. He'd gone to Midian, met and married his wife there. And that was one of the judgmental attitudes they had. But there was the vocational objection too. Moses shouldn't be the sole spokesperson for God. Verse 2 says, Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he spoken also through us? And there was an element where they were questioning the integrity of Moses. Because we understand from verse four, where, uh, verse 3 where it inserts a sort of parenthesis expressing that Moses was a humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. This attack was completely unjustified. Well, it's very easy to condemn uh, Miriam and Aaron, but think about the ease with which I or you slip from seeing behavior that we disagree with i.e. something of preference, or see a mistake that someone has made, or something that is sinful, as the Bible would describe it, how easily we slip from that into assigning the person's motives. We question their whole integrity and their heart if they're doing something that we disagree with or that appears to us to be incorrect. We see this a great deal on social media. Have you noticed that? Politicians say something, and it doesn't matter which party they're from, there'll be a group of people who jump on it and question every motive of their heart. Parents make a mistake or, or, and, and, and it's picked up on social media and they're condemned as, as being unfit for the job. Well, of course, if you've been a parent, you know just how difficult it can be at times. And, and many of us are grateful that there was no social media in the days when we had younger children. Even in marketplace, on Facebook or anywhere else you're selling, if you, if you put something there and people don't think it's a reasonable price, you'll get all kinds of flack. People question not just what you're doing, but your motives for doing it. And let me say, it is not exclusive to those outside the church. We too, as Christians, find it very easy 
to attribute motives to people who disagree with us or whom, with whom we disagree. And we need to be so careful about that. Good people who are Christians can disagree. Good people who are Christians can disagree about the date of the Exodus. Just because somebody thinks it's 200 years later than I think doesn't make them evil. Okay? They might even be right. We just have to back off a bit and be quick to judge ourselves in those situations because God took prompt action. At once, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. It's a bit like being uh, invited to the um, boss's office or to the head teacher's office or something like that, isn't it? You wonder what's going to happen here. But what we see is that God takes prompt action to deal with this rebellion. And it behoves us to take prompt action when we allow our hearts to be judgmental like this because we need to examine our own hearts. Let God's Word, let God's Holy Spirit examine our own hearts uh, to correct us. We see that there was an affirmation of Moses' unique role when God said, he's different from other prophets He's my servant. He's faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And so then the rebels are restrained, the judgmental are judged, as the anger of the Lord burned against them. And when the cloud uh, signifying God's presence lifted from the tent of meeting, Miriam's skin was leprous. Now that's probably not the modern day Hansen's disease we think of as leprosy, but it was some skin condition. And of course, under the Israelite law, both for practical and for holiness reasons, somebody who had a skin condition had to be placed outside of the camp. It was a means of both controlling infection, but also a reminder to the Israelites that impurity, sin, was not allowed in the presence. It was a picture of how sin was not allowed in the presence of God. Isn't it interesting at this stage how the tune changes? Aaron, one of those siblings who was complaining against Moses, cries out to Moses and says, Please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin we've so foolishly committed. I'm not in the habit of addressing my brother as my Lord, nor he doing that to me. Uh, but in this situation, the roles there were such that Aaron acknowledged the place of Moses in God's, uh, God's nation. And then we see this grace and justice being poured down. Moses cries out, God, he, and he uses the word El, which is the creator God. I need you to recreate my sister. Please heal her. And the Lord says, look, if she had been disgraced, and in this case, if a father is spat in the face, which was you know, universally a symbol of disgrace and disgust, would she have not been um, in disgrace for seven days? As with the skin condition, anybody who was 
subject to a skin condition, had to be isolated for seven days. And so Miriam, the, the, the prophet, the one who was a leader, paid for her sin of haughtiness and of envy with this humiliation of being confined outside of the camp. She who was a prophetess to the people of the camp was now for seven days outside them. But it was only seven days. You've got the promise of restoration. Isn't it great to have someone who is an intercessor, someone who prays for you? That's what's happened here. Moses intercedes for his sister. And we know she must have been healed or she wouldn't have been allowed back into the camp. And that's the end of the story. Grace and justice. But we do read a little bit later on in the Bible, a couple of times of Miriam. For example, 38 years later, as the people, the new generation, Miriam long having uh, died, are sitting on the uh, wrong side of the Jordan, if you like, waiting to cross into the promised land. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses gives this to them. He says, as a warning, remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam along the way after you came out of Egypt. Don't forget the lessons of the past. And we need to be careful that we don't forget the lessons of the Scriptures. That's what God's given them to us for, that we might remember them and not make the mistakes of people of the past. But 700 years later, the prophet Micah would place Miriam in a position of honor as God spoke through him. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you also Aaron and Miriam. So there she is, back in her position of restored honor. This series is about imperfect disciples. Real faith is for real people like you and me who make mistakes, not for superstars who always have a smile on their face, we're all in need of God's patience, his grace, and his mercy. And the wonderful thing is that very shortly we'll be reminded of that forgiveness that's available as we take our communion. Let's pray. Thank you, gracious Father, for the lessons of the Bible. For the people who are described to us warts and all. Thank you that it, it, it confirms to, an, uh, to us the, the genuineness of this book that is not something that only looks at the perfect but helps us to realize the real characters who are followers of you and faithful in so many ways still at times rebelled against you, let you down, they sinned and experienced your grace and your forgiveness. Father, how much we need that same grace and forgiveness. We thank you that when we come to Jesus, the slate is cleaned. We're declared righteous. But we still get ourselves dirtied with sin. 
Thank you that the Bible teaches us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Holy Spirit, examine our hearts where we are judgmental or unfairly critical of others. May we know uh, a sense of repentance in our own hearts and your grace forgiving us. May relationships be restored and your name honored, for we pray in and through the name of our Savior, our Lord Jesus. Amen.